Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the college basketball betting preview, episode number one of the 2019-2020 season. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. And joining the fold once again this year is my man, Mike Grando. What's going on, Mike? Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be here. College Hoops is in full swing, and we're back at it again. Yeah, and Colin, how's it going, buddy? Free last, free last. Thank God I can talk about Arkansas as a program again because football's over. Yeah, we'll get to Arkansas in a little bit. Uh, they have a big game against Kentucky on Saturday. And, you know, wh- what we have coming up for this season, for those of you who didn't listen last year, we're weekly episodes. We'll record them on Thursday nights. We'll touch a little bit on the Friday night card, and it's usually a very light card. So if there's a spot or two we like, we'll mention it. You know, then we'll talk about some of the spots we have circled on Saturdays, and then you know we'll cover you know the major conference tournament previews and and the smaller ones as well, March Madness episodes. But we'll 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 fill in you know topics throughout. We're going to take some questions, but you know, for example, tonight I spoke with at Petey Buckets, who's a guy that. I follow who knows the A10 really well. So one of the things that we want to bring to you is weekly niche interviews with with people who follow maybe one conference, a conference special structure, which I think is really valuable. You know, especially when you know there's 353 teams, and you know, we're trying to keep up with all the teams. So getting the perspective of someone that's just deep into one of the conferences, I think, can be really valuable. So. We'll get to that in a sec, but first, let's just keep it really broad with a couple of topics. I'll go around the horn here. What do you, what do you think of this season in the fact that it is completely wide open? Everyone would agree with that, right? I, I've said there's 15 to 20. If you're in the top 15 to 20, maybe even 25, 30, you got a shot in March. Like it's going to come down to matchups and who's on or who's off. There's not one team that can just roll the ball out there and dominate. So I love it personally. And I think it's great for home dogs or in conference play. And you're seeing that all the time. Now, I don't think it's great every year, but to have a year like this, uh, you know, every couple of seasons, uh, I think, you know, it came down to a lot of attrition and it's, it's spectacular to me. Mike, what do you, what do you think of this season? It's fantastic. It started with everybody hitting the unders, right? Cause the unders were hitting at a crazy clip, like 65% to start. Then of course, Vegas adjusted. And I just want to remind everyone that teams that are hitting that lull either now or shortly Don't be scared off by them because remember, Texas Tech and Auburn both last year had three game losing streaks in conference. So I agree, man. It's hard to win on the road. You can see it in the Big Ten. What are they, 33 and six, something like that, home team. So it makes it more exciting. And I'm telling you, the NCAA tournament is going to be nuts. Oh, it's going to be bonkers. And Colin, there's no uh, LSU or Clemson or Alabama this year in college basketball. So what are your thoughts? Are Are you enjoying Yeah, I love how wide open it is as to where in college football we couldn't gauge how good LSU was. We couldn't gauge how bad UMass was. It's nice to have a sport where it's wide open to everybody. And and like Randall said, last year Texas Tech lost three straight. And I think the one thing we have to key in is maybe adjusted uh, uh, defensive efficiency because that's where you kind of find a a good feel of maybe who is going to be able to make a run here. As long as you have one star player and you can play some defense, you can make a run in March Madness. Well, speaking of one star, and and I wouldn't say that we there's no one on the UMass level. There's there's someone like. A, uh, a Maryland Eastern Shore, a, a Central Connecticut State, the other Blue Devils that are pretty damn bad. But I get your point. And yeah, I think that this year it's just you get in, you got a shot. And you've mentioned a star player. I'll go through my my current futures and who, if anybody, I'm, I'm eyeing. And I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on anything. Before the year, my horse 
was going to be Louisville. And I don't love the team. I love them early on, but they have some flaws. And we're going to get to Duke Louisville later on, on Saturday, which is the marquee game. But, you know, I have them 15 to 1. It's, you know, as of right now, they're like 11 to 1 in some places, 10 to 1. But, uh, and look, they got a shot, but their, their guard play needs to improve. And uh, we'll get to that shortly. Um, I also have a piece of Xavier at 50 to one. They're sitting at 61, but that team just doesn't, it just looks off to me. Any thoughts on Xavier, Randall? They just look bad. Yeah. The thing with Xavier is they're home. And then when they go on the road, they're struggling and they're not making three pointers. So that's the problem. I mean, the other night they went in, they got blitzed. So yeah, lunch pail gang playing hard rebound. Najee Marshall's tremendous, but I doubt on the road. And we're talking about NCAA tournament where you got to win on the road, neutral sites. I just don't see that happening right now. Yeah, if they play at the comforts of their home, they can upset anyone there. But yeah, they're really struggling. Yeah, team's not deep either. I mean, they got length, and you think you know Marshall Jones, Scruggs, Gooden, but um, yeah, they, they. I mean, they need the shooting variance to flip around and in an extreme way. They're shooting close to twenty nine percent from three, sub three hundred in the country. Um, you know, so those two. You know, I took long shots on Utah State. I can't figure out what's going on with Utah State. I mean. I, you know, obviously they had injuries to Keta early on and they've, they've had some other injuries that they were dealing with. Um, but to lose at UNLV in the way they did come back, not beat San Diego state in a game I love them in. Um, and then they get trucked at air force and you know, it's, this team just hasn't been as impressive as I thought. Maybe they can clean it up and pick it, you know, I, cause I, I they're going to need, pretty sure they're going to need to win their conference tournament, which they certainly can do. I think that they're clearly the second best team or second most talented team in that conference. Randall, any thoughts there on uh, Utah State? Yeah, Utah State's been confusing to me. I I just don't think that they're totally healthy. And, you know, San Diego State has a nice chance here to go undefeated in that conference. So I thought the Utah State game was sort of going to be an area that they could get tripped up, but they dominated from start to finish. Sam Merrill just didn't look healthy. San Diego State was shorthanded coming off a game against Fresno, you know, a couple of days earlier, they're going to the altitude in Utah State and they led pretty much wire to wire in that game, which is an impressive win for a San Diego State team that's the only remaining undefeated team. You got to take it with a grain of salt because that Utah State win and and what, Iowa on a neutral court, Creighton on a neutral court, those are their three best wins. They, they do, definitely do have a shot to go to feed it. Utah State at home again, and then maybe a, a trip-up spot at Air Force. And starting on January 26th for San Diego State, they're going to have UNLV away, which will be tricky. New Mexico now with Carlton Bragg on, that shouldn't be that big a deal away. Utah State, they'll be ready for revenge. And listen, they started 1-2 and two last year in conference, so Utah State could bring it together again. Let's not sleep on them. Of course, they're very well coached. And of course, the game at Air Force, which is not going to be easy. So if they get through that four slate of games, I think they are going to be undefeated heading into the conference tournament. So, yeah, Utah State. And I have some St. Mary's as well. Those are my two long shots. I mean, I got some St. Mary's at 250 to 1. They're at like 80 to 1 now at some spots. And it was kind of just, hey, look, maybe they can make a little run and I can hedge. But if they keep shooting like they've been shooting, they can make a run. But I don't know if they can sustain it. The defense is there. They're going to slow the game down. They can grind it against you. But my, my horse, the one that I feel most confident about right now, is Seton Hall. And Miles Powell, and I've just, there's many things that I love about this team. And you know, we, we're talking about how hard it is to win on the road because when there is so much parity, you come out a little flat and against a team in conference at, at home and they feed off that crowd. We saw with Auburn, Alabama last week, it's tough. But that win last night, you know, I mean, Seton Hall's had a couple good road wins lately. At the Paul is a decent win. At Xavier and then at Butler, that's a really good win. They were down 10 with 18 to go. But there's a lot to like about this team. I mean, it's one of the longest teams in the nation. They have size for days. And obviously, you have a guy like Miles Powell might be the best player in the country. He could take over a game at any point in time. You know, a fellow senior guard in McKnight. You know, and then you have a 7-2 kid in Romario Gill. Freshman Tyree Samuel, 6-10 kid. He's starting to come on. They've been doing this with... Uh, Mamo Kishvili, who's been out. So he's going to come back, and uh, it's this team is really dangerous because of their size, especially because of their senior backcourt led by Powell from Trenton. Powell from Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! You have him. They could go all the way. He could put Hall on his back against any team in the country and, and get a win. 
besides having Miles Powell, I mean, they're 20th in tempo in the nation. That's a result of steals, turnovers, they're just upping the pace, and they're they're hell to try and defend. They're one of the top teams in the nation already that are, they have five quadrant one wins. And I mean, that's tied with Oregon and Kansas has the lead at seven. I mean, there's not a lot of teams that have as many quality wins as Seton Hall, and they're doing it everywhere on the court. Yep. Yeah, top uh, 10th in adjusted efficiency, adjusted defensive efficiency, number nine in blocks. They're just great defensively at the rim. And then you got Powell and then Magus, Mamish Kafili coming back. It's This team is dangerous as hell. So that's my futures. As far as a team that I'm looking to potentially add, it's tough now just because there is so much parity that it's like, I don't want to invest in anyone at the top, right? Because uh, yeah, it's, it's just so wide open. So someone that I would potentially look at, and by the way, Sino, you can still find them at 35, 40 to one. I think 30 to one or better. That's who I would take a shot with now, you know, but I look at maybe someone like a Wisconsin. The only reason I said they're 80 to one. Now I said a couple weeks ago, this is a team that's going to be on the upswing. Michael Potter coming in. He's had a couple big games. He's going to help Reavers down low. So they have the big men down low, Wisconsin. Their perimeter play is very, very streaky. Um, You know, so you have guys, you know, like Demetri Trice, a guy that when he's feeling good and he's making shots, he'll do it for four or five games. And the the perimeter is kind of like that. So you have Potter and Reavers inside and this backcourt that is streaky. If they get in and they're going to defend really well, they're going to play really slow. They're bottom three in tempo. So the games are going to be grinders and they will be close. But if their backcourt just gets hot for a few games, that's a team that could potentially make a run. That's where I'll go with. That's kind of my futures outlook as of now. There'll be one or two that we may add and talk about throughout the season. But let me throw it to Randall. What do you have as far as a futures portfolio? And uh, is there a team that you like that you would look at? Yeah, the two teams that I'm looking at, you name Wisconsin, I agree with you because Virginia broke the mold last year where a slow team can't win the title. It certainly can, especially when everyone is equal and there's no team with dominant stars coming into the tournament. That was one. I've been impressed with Colorado also. Now, I don't like them tonight at Arizona State where they usually struggle, but that was a nice win at home against Oregon. They play well on the neutral. They're going to battle. They were battling against Dayton there. They played great in that game. So that's a team as well that I think has all the pieces. You have McKinley Wright. You have the guys inside. Yeah. The bigs, like you know, they, I like teams that have players in roles. That, that's that's kind of where I lean. And the one future that was in my portfolio that I loved was Oregon plus three fifty to be. A, I'm sorry, it was Baylor plus three fifty to be a one seed. I grabbed that when they went to the Kansas game there, and now it's dropped since then. But that's another team, Scott Drew, right? The guy who can't get get over the hump, get to the national title game like we heard about Bennett, okay? So now here's another guy. He's got players. Jared Butler is going to be playing the league. Absolutely, this is going to be his last year in college. They have size as well. They have a style, right? They have an identity. So that's one that I like to to be a one seed heading into the tournament because, again, once Duke got knocked off against Clemson, I started laughing because all Baylor's got to do is tread water here because they already have five wins, right, over ranked teams, which is the most they've ever had in their history. They're 5-0 and right now. So that's one that I really like a lot for them to be a one seed. Yeah, I, I like the Colorado call, especially. I mean, this team, they're well-coached, play great defense. And as you mentioned, you got right on the outside, Batty and Bay inside. And they're a, they're a very experienced team. So this team come March, after even some more experience, I mean, I, I, if you go by Kempon, they were number one in minutes con- continuity. You know, they're all, ju- you know, besides Batty, they're all juniors and seniors. So, yeah, I like that Colorado call. Colin, how about you? What do you what do you have as far as futures are concerned, and what are you looking at? I have a standard Arkansas two hundred to one from beginning of the season. You know, I didn't know that if it would have legs to get through the season, or if they're an NIT team. And speaking of legs, you know, they're three hundred forty third in bench minutes, and I see that every time I go to watch them play. I mean, we're at a seven man rotation, and really, there's there's five guards on the floor. I just don't think it's sustainable. I think this is a team that's going to be tired towards the end of February and the beginning of March. They're going to be great fade piece then, but right now they're just kind of dominating teams on the arc. For me. I want to get into Louisville, especially if they lose this game against Duke. I know we're going to cap that, but, you know, to me, the best time to buy Louisville was going to be right after this loss because they won't face another team in the top 40 until February 24th when they go to Florida State. They're a team that's top 20 in adjusted efficiency defense, top 20 of adjusted efficiency offense. They have one of these top 10 players, uh, you know, in, in Ken Palm Player of the Year standings. They have Jordan Wara. You know, we talk about Miles Powell who's being who's fourth in those standings. Louisville has somebody who's seventh. So, I mean, they definitely have it. They they don't have as many quadrant one wins. Uh, you know, they're still kind of down with one quadrant one win. Uh, but after Duke, they have a very sleepy schedule for a month. That's an interesting point to get Louisville after, you know, especially if they get blown out uh, by Duke. I mean, look, this is – we can get into that game right now. I mean, the, the, the worry for me with Louisville is, yeah, they're going to play solid defense, um, you know, and I'm a fan of Mac. 
and Jordan War is excellent. But you know, if you can pressure their, it's just their their guard play. It's and you're going to get into a tournament game where you're going to need your guards to make shots, and you know their guards have just been very inconsistent. Um, you know, so it's one of the things where I look at this team and I like them a lot, but I've just seen so many times where if you can, you know, pressure their guards, which Duke can do, you know, then their offense all of a sudden goes into a shell. Darius Perry. I mean, he is one of the most inconsistent players I've ever seen. I mean, this is a guy that just is so hit or miss. Kimball has been, you know, senior steadying voice, excuse me, steadying force at point guard. That's what really scares me about Louisville. Um, you know, you have you know, Ryan McMahon who can come off. He's another senior who can come off the bench at the play guard. He can hit some threes. That backcourt, I think, is what's going to make or break. What are, what are your thoughts on, on Louisville in general, Randall? It's kind of like the Arkansas corollary for me. You know, I've been critical there of Arkansas and I've been going back and forth with Colin, but he's been like my psychiatrist here helping me through this. The fact is, you're right. Louisville's guards are weak. The question is, are they going to face a team in the tournament that's going to be able to capitalize? Just like last year, Virginia can't score. But are they going to be able to face a team? Now, they had a couple of miracle David Copperfield escapes, but are they going to face a team that, that can capitalize on that? Warwick can be the best player on the floor at any time. They certainly play play hard, hard. Mac is a good coach. And I'm interested to see how this game's going to go because honestly, I was on Kentucky when they played Kentucky, but Louisville showed me more. Yeah, Louisville deserved to win that game. I was on there too. Louisville was inexplicably bad from the line as well. Yep. And we got lucky, but they showed some guts there playing hard on the road. So I agree, but in a down year like this year, they can absolutely get to the final four with those guards. I agree. It's a weakness. The question is, can somebody they play capitalize on it? Yep. I think Duke is going to be the team that capitalizes this weekend. I think they're going to cover this because, I mean, you lose to Clemson the other night. And this is just, I mean, if you look into the advanced stats in this game, I mean, Duke should rebound and cover. And I mean, literally rebound. Their offensive rebounding percentage is sixth in the nation to Louisville's, you know, 99th defensively. Uh, and there's just a, everything from bench minutes, uh, you know, and, and, and average height, everything is going to be on the Blue Devil side. Well, Louisville really just has a massive experience edge here. Uh, and the Cardinals defense is outside the top 300 in turnover percentage, which is an area where Clemson was like inside the top 70. And I don't think that the, you know, Louisville is going to be able to expose Duke in transition or be able to get any steals or cause any havoc uh, the way Clemson was. So I think this is going to be a Duke cover coming up this weekend. Your line should be around, around six, seven, eight. And for those mm-hmm. who don't know, just like football, six and seven are key numbers in basketball to keep in mind, mainly just because and sometimes that's not the case in college, uh, more so in the NBA. But they're, they're still important in college because that's, you know, three possessions at seven in particular. That's when you would theoretically stop fouling with four seconds left. But, I mean, I, I lost a bet this year when Monmouth fouled down 17, so with nine seconds left. So you never know in college. But so the line should be right around a touchdown for those still in football mode. It's a huge game in the ACC. The Duke defense got shredded against Clemson. There was some foul trouble. They, they look lazy on some backdoor cuts. So I think they're going to be able to pressure the Louisville. They're going to be able to pressure the Louisville guards. They're going to disrupt that offense. They have the size inside to battle with Noir and company. And then the other side, you know, and I think it's just a refocused game from the Duke defense. And the other side of the ball, I mean, the, the Louisville defense is excellent as well. So maybe the total comes out at 140-ish, maybe a little lower. If it's seven, I think the line is about right. But if it's, you know, 140-ish, I would look at the uh, under. I think this sets up to be, you know, a game that's played in, in the low 60s. Yeah, and I think you uh, you and I talked about our you know Razorback basketball about how some things they're doing is just unsustainable. One of the things that Louisville does that's unsustainable is they're shooting forty four percent from three in just conference play alone. I mean, you just can't. That's not going to last the entire season. So definitely something that agrees with probably the under and uh, yeah, Duke shooting forty one percent conference play. So these are two teams that are you're, they're not going to keep shooting right that well from deep. Although Duke should get Joey Baker back. Uh, well, that's uh, yeah. I think that's going to be key because what happened without Moore and Baker the other night is they became a Jenga puzzle. Meaning if one thing went wrong for them in that game and it was Cassius Stanley getting in foul trouble, they're really crippled. That's their strength, right? They usually have depth. So I was shocked because Clemson has looked dead to me. They played Yale. They were awful at home. Let Miami come back in on them. But that's the thing. If they have those guys back, it just helps because then Stanley doesn't get that fourth foul. But if they're out and something goes wrong, Vernon Carey gets in foul trouble, Louisville could be in good shape there. They're just very delicate, like everybody is this year. 
No, that's fair, but we shall see. All right, so let's let's stay in the ACC, and it's a fascinating conference because of you know how far some teams have fallen. You have a Virginia team that was a one seed the past two years, the defending national champions, who it's not out of the question that they missed the tournament and they go to the NIT. It's not a lock. Um, I'm not saying that at all, but I'm, I'm just saying it's not out of the question. This is a team that was 33-3 and three in the ACC during conference play the past three years. They're 3-3 three and three this year. It's just that that offense is dead. Then you have a North Carolina team. I mean, they lost at home to Clemson for the first time since this has been a series. I think it started in like 1929 or something. And they've just been bad. Now, if you look at UNC, you know, obviously they've had some attrition. They lost a bunch of starters. They're six men. They didn't have any. Their recruiting classes the past couple of years have been awful. And then, you know, you have Cole Anthony, who I don't even know if he's going to come back. Although on Instagram, he said he's coming back you know, supposed to basically carry the team. So he got hurt and then they had some other injuries. I mean, Roy Williams came out and like basically shit on this team. He said, this is like the least talented team I had, least gifted team. They asked him about it the next day and he said, yes, it is. And I mean, this team is just bad. I don't see any way they make the tournament given their schedule and really poor basketball team, especially without Cole Anthony. And I don't know why he would come back and risk anything, but he may. But, you know, those two teams dropping off in the ACC makes this conference you know, who do you trust in it? Florida State, who lost a lot, looks pretty good lately. They have a lot of length. They're going to have a lot of depth under Leonard Williams. And then obviously you have Louisville and Duke at the top, which I think are the two best teams. You know, Virginia Tech showed some flashes early in the year. But, uh, I mean, they have uh, have not impressed me at all during conference play. And then it's just like a, a big cluster. Uh, this is one of the worst ACC years I can ever remember. Randall, let me start with you. What are your thoughts on the, on the rest of the conference? Yeah, I think Virginia Tech's interesting. You're right. I mean, the rest of the conference is down, especially in comparison to Big 12, even the middle of the SEC, and of course, the Big 10. Mike Young coming over from Wofford's done a nice job at Virginia Tech. I think they've won like eight of their last nine, so they're playing well. It's interesting to me because I've looked at the ACC, and it's just a question on who can step up here. I got off in North Carolina. I was waiting, right? We're waiting, waiting for Roy to get together, try the motivational tactic. When they blew that second half lead to Pittsburgh, I got off of them in two seconds. And folks, with Virginia, it's very simple. While the unders with Virginia have been hitting at a crazy rate, you can't play that style and shoot 26.8% as a team for three-point range. It's just not going to happen. Last year, of course, they were top 10. I think they were eighth overall, shooting like 39% as a team. So they're not making threes, and they're slowing it down. Sure, I would bet the unders with Virginia, but I think you have to stay away. That game against South Carolina, when South Carolina came in and beat them in Virginia, that was fast to me because Jair Bolden hasn't done anything since that game. He had like a good game there and he's been terrible since then although South Carolina beat Kentucky last night. But the old Virginia would have shut that kid down once he made a couple shots. They could not shut him down and they cannot score. So if you're going to play a slow game like that, guys, and you're going to make the tournament, you can't shoot 26% from three-point range. That's where they're at right now. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at the net ratings, which are obviously now really important for Virginia Tech's at you know, 35th, 34th, somewhere in that ballpark. Virginia is at 68th. So you're, people that are like, oh, you're, people were calling me crazy on Twitter saying they're not going to miss the tournament. They're at 68th. So they're 11-5 and five on the year. You know, they're 1-3 and three on the road. And it just they, they don't really have any really impressive wins. That, and they just they don't pass the eye test at all. So if this team doesn't pick it up, they're going to miss the tournament. And then you know, the ACC teams that can make it realistically as of right now, it's Florida State, they're top 20 in that. They're safe. Louisville's safe and Duke is safe. Virginia Tech, mid-30s. NC State, mid-50s. They've dealt with a couple key injuries. Um, you know, they're probably the other team. But that's – and then you're down to like Syracuse and Boston College and Georgia Tech. What is this ACC? Con, what are your thoughts on, on the uh, conference? Florida State has been a team that I've had my eye on, especially when we were in Vegas. I was still shopping numbers and, and mostly, I mean, at 15 and two, there's not a lot on this schedule that could hand them a loss. I mean, they still go to Duke on February 10th. Uh, they do play Louisville down the road, but that game is at home. Besides that, there's not anybody that can really challenge and stand up to what they are a defense. Now, in comparison to last year in 2019, they have almost the exact same offensive and def- defensive efficiencies. And with Florida State, the bread and butter is really on defense with the block percentage, the steal percentage. They are long. They're number one in the country in average height. The teams that have beat them, Pittsburgh and Indiana, 
Both of those teams rank top 40 in offensive rebounds. And there's not a lot of people in the ACC that are going to be able to expose that. Like this weekend against Miami, Miami's 275th in offensive rebounds. That's not going to get it done like Indiana and Pitt did, which are the only losses for the Seminoles. FSU's top five in so many defensive ranks. And, you know, that's been good enough to advance them in the tournament. So while I think there, you know, you're never going to find a window of opportunity in Florida State's uh, path to get to the tournament, you know, to get a better number. I think go ahead and scooping them up now and then, you know, it, see what happens during the ACC tournament. But this is a team that is built to advance, but probably not win the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, NC State is an interesting team because they've played a couple games here without C.J. Bryce, um, who's now back. It's a team that really experienced Markel Johnson, Thunderbird, Bryce, Devin Daniels. These are all seniors and juniors. Braxton Beverly. So with Bryce healthy, this is a really good offense. The questions come on defense. But with Bryce back there, an intriguing team. If you're looking for a sleeper, I think, in the ACC tournament, I mean, there's not going to be many. Uh, but, yeah, I, I agree with you on Florida State. Um, and they've made some runs in the, in the tournament under Williams recently. Now, they might not call a timeout, and he might get really mad after the game, but that's another story. Um, any closing thoughts on the ACC, Randall? Yeah, that's it. NC State is interesting because they're well coached. And I've seen early on that coaching has mattered here with betting. So when you're looking at a good coach, even with a guy like Scott Cross, who's down in Troy, they've covered a bunch of games in the row. If you have a coach that you know is solid, you know, I, I think that makes a difference, especially when they're home. So in those conference games where it's tough to win on the road, if you have a home team getting points and you know their coach is solid, you know, a proven guy who's, who's had some sustained success here, I think you got to look at it. And we're going to try to cover a lot of these conferences like we've done. And we'll obviously circle back for conference tournaments. But let's let's now get to Pete and talk uh, A-10. That I follow on Twitter and love getting his thoughts on the Atlantic 10. And as I mentioned before, this year on the podcast, we want to have specials from different conferences just to give you a little more insight into some of the teams from someone that just follows that conference specifically. I think there's so much value in talking to people that are conference specials and college specials. There are so many teams. Wanted to bring on Pete at Petey Buckets on Twitter. What's going on, Pete? Hey, Stucky. Thanks for having me, man. He is, uh, like myself, a fellow A-10 undergrad. He went to George Mason, and some of you know I went to George Washington. You know, I was there on Pops. Mentsabatsu was there, so I had... Uh, Pops, yeah. Yeah, they were okay. You know, they made the tournament, but uh, you were there for the uh, George Mason Final Four run. You, That's right. You, know, you go to George Mason, yeah. you don't think that you're going to be there during a Final Four run. That's a pretty crazy story. Oh, for sure. No. It also makes it easier to explain how a grown man is still so like invested in college basketball. When you're there for the final four run for something like that, it's just like, it, it's magical. It doesn't leave you. Yeah, I'll never forget that UConn game. What, what was your favorite moment? Was it from that game or somewhere else? The UConn game was in DC. I don't know if you guys remember yep. that, but um, yeah, it was like, it was just packed with Mason fans. We were like up in their afters, but um, the, we thought Denim Brown's three was going in based on the, uh, the view that we had. So like just the sense of like overwhelming, like relief and elation when that bounces to the side and then the buzzer sounds was incredible. And then the Metro ride home was just packed with Mason fans was going nuts. It was crazy. That's awesome. I'm all for people that come on our podcast to help us out that, you know, whatever they are looking to grow. So before we get into some of the nitty gritty here with the A-10, I know that you have a podcast and maybe something else that you wanted to plug. So I'll let you get out that get that out of the way now. Yeah. So uh, I do some fan blogging for giantkiller.co. Uh, Giant Killer is, uh, it's a Mason based fan blog, but one of the really cool things we're putting together now is the Hey 10 podcast. Uh, hey 10 is A 10 focused. So we're talking about the entire A 10. So if you want to come and get some, get some thoughts on the conference, get some insight into, you know, what's developing, who's getting minutes, who's, who's looking good, who's not looking good. Check out Hey 10. Uh, it's me and uh, Grant Labetz from A 10 talk. Uh, A 10 talk is a pretty popular Twitter account. That's what we're working on. So come check it out. You know, sports betting has become legal in more and more states. People that want to get involved in college basketball betting, they, they always tell me, where do you start? And I always say, well, you know, I've been doing this every day for 15, 20 years. I mean, 15, seriously, you know, back in high school, I started. And, you know, so I, I'm covering every team, but I have my, it's, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work and it took me a long time to get up to where I am now. What I, what I tell a lot of people that are just starting out is focus on one conference. There's 353 teams in college basketball. You're not going to jump into college basketball and be able to bet all like it's, it's overwhelming. So focus on one conference. And now let's take the Atlantic 10. There's resources out there. Like you just mentioned that you can, okay, now let me become familiar with just these teams and you can start there and then grow from there. So uh, if you want to start with the yeah. Atlantic 10, those are some resources for me. And you're going to have Lenardi on tonight, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're really excited about that. How many, like, I guess I'll, I'll start here. How many teams do you think you get a 10 gets in the tournament ultimately? 
I think we probably get at least two with the chance for a third. I, I know people are pretty down on the A-10 right now, but I also think that um, somebody's going to steal a win against Dayton, which is going to look great. The A-10 was good enough at a conference that wins against like Richmond, Rhode Island, I think even Bonaventure, St. Louis, VCU. Those are going to turn into good wins, like Q2 wins if they're on the road that can turn into resume builders. So I know the A-10 is a little bit doom and gloom because VCU might be playing their way off the bubble. But at the end of the day, I, I, I don't really see a scenario where we get less than two bids. I would, I would tend to agree. And um, we'll get to the top and we'll get to, to Dayton. But you just mentioned VCU. They're the only team that's sitting at 500, two and two. A little disappointing based on, you know, some of the preseason expectations and what we saw specifically early on in the season for how this team might look. And, you know, some of the underlying metrics suggested maybe their defense wasn't as good as it was last year early. But they've really fallen off here um, of late. I don't know. I'm not sure what's going on with Evans. Um, but what are your general thoughts on VCU and specifically a huge game against uh, St. Bonaventures? Uh, St. Bonaventure, excuse me, on yeah. in Richmond on Saturday, and, and that's a Bonnie team that's sitting at four and zero in the conference and playing a lot better. You know, yeah. kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum of VCU, especially since Osun came back, six ten guy, he averages about ten and ten. So, what are your thoughts on VCU specifically, and then that game on Saturday, and if Bonnie's is an actual player? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a game. Um, there are a couple of factors that go into it. Um, VCU absolutely rolled Bonaventure last year. They won by like 30 points. So I don't know how much you can take away from that game um, because a lot of the, a lot of their returning personnel is pretty similar. But uh, Marcus Santos Silva, who I think with you, you mentioned Evan sort of taking a step back. He's not quite the same player he was last year. I think it's pretty clear now that Marcus Santos Silva is VCU's most important player. I think night in, night out, uh, you know, he's the, he's the one that's most reliable. He's only about six, seven. So he's built like one of those overgrown linebackers. He's really, really effective when he gets the right matchup. But guys who have length and use it to defend like Osun have really given him trouble. So it's at home. It's at the Siegel Center. So, you know, you never know how that's going to go. Bonnies are a little bit of a younger team. might feel kind of overwhelmed. But I think that if Osun can stay out of foul trouble, he's got a fouling issue. So, you know, this all might go to hell if he gets two fouls in the first five minutes. But um, if Osun stays out of foul trouble and if he gets like 25 plus minutes, I think that VCU is going to have some trouble because there's just something missing uh, from them on the offensive side of the ball. And I think that their, their guards, if you look at their Ken Palm, uh, numbers year over year have just all taken a step back. It's not just Evans; it's also Isaac Van and Darionte Jenkins. Uh, they just don't quite score as well as they uh, as well as they were last year. And I think Osun has a good chance of taking away uh, that post game Santos Silva in the middle. And then if he does that, if he gets enough minutes, then I think that we're we're going to see a dogfight. Yeah, yeah, I would I would tend to agree. And I, the VCU, you know, some of their defensive numbers are still really good. They, you know, force a ton of turnovers still. Probably what it will come down to outside of the the play inside. Oh, you think Bonnie's is a, a potential real player then in the conference? Bonnie's are on the upswing. And I think um, if we talk about teams that might be a little bit undervalued, Osuna Suni is such an important player for Bonaventure. They are such a good defensive team when he's in the game because he's 6'10". He's a, he's a really great defender. He's only a sophomore, but he just has such a natural feel for the game. He just changes everything for them because their guards can sort of press on the perimeter because they've got that shot blocker, that eraser back there. And then the Bonnie's defense just absolutely terrible when he's not playing. So he missed five games for them. I think they went one and four, including a loss to like Canisius or somebody terrible. They're just such a tremendously different team with Osun in the lineup. And I don't, I don't necessarily know if the Ken Palm numbers and other things that you're going to look at are going to reflect that. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing too about VCU is they've been disappointing to me, and yet they are still shooting relatively okay from three. I mean, they're not great. They're around 34%. But when I looked at their roster before the year and you would watch them play, I mean, that, that was one of the biggest question marks for me is their shooting. So their shooting hasn't even been horrid and they've been underperforming, which is one of the things that scares me a lot about VCU. Yeah. So they're only at 25% in conference. Um, they're actually, if you hit the little conference only toggle on Ken Palm, um, yeah, they're, they're dead last 14th in the A-10. Um, in three-point shooting in conference. So it's been hurting them. And also, if you watch them play, they're one of the teams where I think percentages might lie a little bit because teams kind of back off and dare them to shoot. You know, if you uh, if you let Santos Silva get going in the paint or if you let Marcus Evans get to the rim, that's kind of how they murder you. Um, they're not really the kind of team that's going to uh, just bury you from three uh, all game long. So the matchup against Bonaventure is interesting. So uh, it's one I'll be keeping an eye on this weekend. Yeah, and bodies can 
can battle on the boards too, especially with those soon back, which is one of the places that VCU likes to live mm-hmm. on offense. But um, all right, let's talk about the, before we get to the top of the conference, let's talk about the bottom, you know, if anyone with one win or fewer and, you know, bring up the rear, you have Fordham and St. Joe's and then GW, yep. my alma mater, they are not good, but they have some interesting freshman pieces for, you know, a couple of years to come. Mason, their offense to me is disgusting. I don't know your <laughs> thoughts. I'll get your thoughts on me. Yeah, I mean, you're a yeah. season ticket holder. Tell me your thoughts on Mason. It's absolutely disgusting. It's just ball screen after ball screen after ball screen. And it's so easy to defend because we don't really, we don't really have that three level score that, you know, is a threat to get to the rim, but is also a threat to pop. So you've got to, you know, you got to play him close and, and respect both sides. It's, it's just ugly. Um, and we've been watching it all season long. And I think we had a very just like fraudulent 11 and one streak to start the season, but those wins included like going to overtime against Navy and just beating up on a bunch of tomato cans. Now we're in conference play. And honestly, I thought like we're, we might be kind of close to the wheels falling off after I saw that GW game because I don't usually try to uh, analyze body language or anything like that because for the most part it's just bullshit when people do that but there were some things that I saw last night that concerned me not just in terms of like how the game was being played but just how the how the guys were reacting I feel like the the, the team might be in some 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 trouble there Yep. I think the other two teams below VCU uh, LaSalle and UMass uh, one of the things with UMass that's interesting is I don't know how this kid I feel like I've seen you talk about him before. Sean East, who would look really good coming off the bench in the backcourt for Louisville, kid out of Louisville, freshman that uh, impresses me every time I watch him play. He's up in UMass playing really well. Is UMass, if, if there's going to be one team to win a couple games in the A-10 tournament from this bottom, so from LaSalle, UMass, George Mason, Davidson, GW, St. Joe's, and Fordham, yeah. is it maybe UMass or who would you pick here? It could be UMass. I might pick GW actually because um, UMass is just kind of undisciplined. They have talent, um, but their defense is a mess. McCall plays this pressing style, um, and he's been tweaking with it a lot. So I don't want to, you know, I don't want to kill him for it. But they they play this press where it feels like their press just leaks points. I, and I get I get he's a coach. He can't just like scrap it and give up on it. But at this point, the press just doesn't work for them. And they're they're trying new things. They're trying tweaks to it. But overall, I think on defense, they're just really undisciplined. Their best style of play is trying to play. Four out with uh, Trey Mitchell in the middle. Um, Trey Mitchell's this four-star recruit. He was a really huge uh, recruiting coup for Matt McCall at UMass, but he's not really a great interior defender yet, um, but he's got to be that guy for them. So I think that UMass has a lot of talent, but they're just they're just too easy to score on at this point, I think. And they're uh, when they're not hitting threes, their offense is another one that just doesn't really look great. GW, I haven't caught a ton of them, but they did impress me last night in the win against Mason. Um, that Jamison battle kid was absolutely on fire, um, and he's a guy who's really really been heating up. Um, Jameer Nelson Jr., I think, two freshmen. So I think that that's a team that might get better. Um, and they also just added Amir Harris, who missed last night's game for, we're not exactly sure why, but Amir Harris is a transfer from Nebraska who had also had a few really good games for them. So I, I think that GW might actually be a team that I might pick to kind of round into form. It's Jamie and Christian's first year there. It's a one-game sample, but I, I think you got to be pretty happy with what you're seeing if you're a GW fan based on last night. Yeah, I mean, but even if you go back a little further than that, I mean, they were right there with Bonnie's. They were right there with St. Louis. I know St. Louis led wire to wire, but I mean, they cut it to three late. uh, And then they were right there with Duquesne at home. So all all their losses in the A-10 are by five points. That was one of the things that concerned me pre-last night's game was that GW hadn't, they played some good competition and nobody really blew them out. And then they played, played Mason and they got that dub. I mean, the whole season, a lot of their losses, even to inferior teams, it is a really young team early in the year, but they're losing mm-hmm. to a two to American, four to Morgan State, six to UMKC, terrible teams, but they're, they, they're fighting and it looks like they're improving. Moving on from GW to the, the last team in the bottom of the barrel, Davidson, I have to mention them because, you know, and you said something on Twitter that I completely agree with. Kempom has them, I think the last time I saw it was ahead of St. Louis, I don't know, maybe a week ago. I don't think anymore, but they were way they, too high. They yeah, stink. They stink, right? Like, I, they have great yeah. names coming back with John Axel, Goodmanson, and Kellen Grady. They've had some injuries, to be fair. You know, and then you see sometimes, you know, some offense yeah. explosions against bad teams, but they can't play defense. They don't really have a bench. I think they're going to get improved, but I don't see it, right? You agree? Fully agree. I, I think the tweet you're referring to is I say, I get shook when I look at the uh, advanced metrics. Uh, Ken Palm has had him in the top 75 like all year until recently, which just does not mat- match the eye test at all. It's the same thing with Torvik and Haslam metrics. It's like if you watch Davidson, they've got all the functional athleticism of a NESCAC team. They're just so slow and unathletic. And if they're playing teams that are big and physical, which they're going to run into a lot of them, I think they already lost to Rhode Island. Um, they're going to run into St. Louis at some point. Uh, I think Dayton uh, VCU just going to atomize them. Davidson is bad. And I think it's, I, I don't know what it is about the way the metrics are calculated that 
that has prevented them from realizing that. But this is not a good basketball team and people are just late to buy into it. Yep. I'm with you there. I mean, the time to bet Davidson, if you want to bet Davidson is like uh, home against Fordham, like don't blow out a really bad team at home by like 30 when they're favored by like 15. That's, that's, I don't want any part of that team other than that. All right. Now moving to the top of the conference, Duquesne in first place at five and oh, I mean, this, this is an amazing story. They don't have a home court. They don't play any home games. You know, they're switching between arenas. They are 5-0 and in the conference. They <laughs> survived Fordham the yeah. other night. Can carry Jim <laughs> and Weathers keep this up? Or is this a team that you think is going to start to fade away, especially with no home court? Is all that going to catch up to them eventually? You know, I think so. Um, I'm kind of willing to write off the Fordham debacle because they're looking ahead to Rhode Island. I think Rhode Island's the next really big game. And I think they've been hearing the, you know, the whole like, oh, well, they haven't played anybody uh, all season long too. But, you know, they beat St. Louis. Uh, they beat uh, Davidson. Both of those were home games. Um, they go to Rhode Island uh, a week from now. So I think that'll be their first road game against a real team. And that's going to be the first game that sort of like lets you know really who they are in terms of how well they're going to compete against the top of the conference. But yeah, in terms of talent, like if you watch this Duquesne team, like they're they're right there. I think Michael Hughes is consistently one of the most underrated players in the A-10. Uh, he's a really good big man. They got great point guard play with Sincere Carey. Um, and then Tavian Dunmartin is like all of 5'8". But he's an absolute heat check shooter. And when he gets going, and he's really fun to watch. Uh, Ken Palm has uh, Duquesne to finish the conference season 12 and 6, which is, it would mean they would go 7 and 6 the rest of the way. But if you look at their schedule, it's kind of brutal. They actually go away to Rhode Island, then they get Dayton at home, then they go to St. Louis, then they've got um, two games against Bonaventure home and away, they've got a road game against Davidson, they go away to VCU. So their schedule is about to get just probably 100 times tougher than it's actually been all season long. So I think we're going to we're gonna learn a lot about them coming up soon. You know, I, I do have to mention, obviously, whoever wants to talk about is Dayton, and they are 4-0. They're 15-2 and overall. One of the losses came to Kansas in overtime. I know they shot the lights out from three, but it's a game they easily could have won, mm-hmm. led down the stretch. And St. Louis. So St. Louis is 3-1 in conference. This is a team I was so high on coming into the year with Goodwin and French, and then I look at their – I watch their offense, and I just cringe. And then I watch their <laughs> free throw shooting, and I cringe more. So the yeah. interesting thing is that Dayton plays St. Louis. And, you know, we said the Kempom has – Davidson overrated, which I agree with. And I think that St. Louis for most of the year has been undervalued. But I mean, then sometimes I watch their offense and I'm like, but yeah. I think they're now dead last. They're 50, yeah, 56.2% from the line too. And that's a lot of that is Oof. French is going to get the foul a lot down low. And he, he's uh, just chucking it at the rim as hard as he can. Uh, but how, like, two questions here before uh, we let you go. How I mean, I think Dayton's bona fide top 10 team. And this year, it's so wide open that if you're in the top 15, 20, you got a shot to go to the final four. So I think their ceiling is a real final four team. Uh, I think everything's just going to come down to, to matchups this year, the 20. There's no elite team that can just roll the ball out there and roll. But what does St. Louis have to do to beat them tomorrow? And can you see it happening? Or is just the offense not there to beat a team of caliber of Duquesne? Because the defense is there for St. Louis when they want it once. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a familiarity factor here, right? Um, I think these teams are going to be ready for each other. They went two and one against each other last year. So this year's Dayton team, we've gone back and forth a couple times about um, Jimmer, uh, J- Jimson, Jimmer, Gibson, Jimerson. I'm sorry. Gibson, that, was, Jimerson, there you go. that was not a bit. I was legit just had a brain fart as to what his name was. Yeah. He was a knockdown shooter. Slew's offense desperately needs that spacing uh, and they just don't have it anymore. It's tough to see how St. Louis is just going to be able to score points, uh, score enough points to keep up here. They score two at a time. They're just such a crappy shooting team. Uh, they don't, they don't hit threes very well. Uh, you mentioned they don't hit free throws very well at all. That's not really a formula for keeping the game close against a team like Dayton, where I don't know if you watched the VCU game, but uh, I think the VCU game should have been terrifying because I think the VCU still, we can talk about their, you know, uh, how we might think that they're not quite as good as we thought they were, but it's still a good team. And once Dayton got the boulder rolling downhill against them early in the second half, and there was just nothing anybody could do. And I actually think one thing that's interesting is that VCU and St. Louis are a little bit more similar in style this year than I think anybody would have expected. And I think maybe more than people are acknowledging. So a lot of things went right for VCU in the first half in order to keep that game close. I think the game was being officiated in a way that benefited them. You know, I think Marcus Evans sort of took down one of their guards and it turned into double technicals. A lot of things went right for VCU in that game and they still could only keep it close for uh, for about 20 minutes. So it, it's tough for me to see how St. Louis is going to win this. I think they if they're going to win it, they're going to need um, a big showing from the supporting cast. I think French and Goodwin are going to get theirs per usual. Um, they're going to need a guy like Perkins or a guy like Tay Weaver to come in yeah. off the bench. Um, and hit some threes for them. 
Um, I think they're going to need to be able to disrupt Dayton. Uh, St. Louis's defense has been good, but not great this year. Um, so I think they're a top 50 defense. Um, they're actually 52nd in adjusted efficiency in Ken Palm. I don't see it happening. Not, not with this St. Louis team. Not short of somebody coming off the bench and going like 7 of 10 from 3. Yeah, I was actually traveling and out during that game. I just caught bits and pieces and was following the score. But did, And Obi looked healthy because there was questions about how healthy he would be. Yeah, his ankle looked fine. It was one of those things. I felt like an idiot because I was tweeting like, people are really confident that Dayton's going to win when we don't know what Obi we're going to get. Um, but yeah, Obi was fine. He was, and you've uh, seen nothing to to discredit my statement that this is a legit, like, you know, maybe 10 to 15 other teams that they're, they're right there. Oh, no, not at all. 14, right? no, no, no. I think Obi Obi might be the best player in college basketball last year. And I think that's sort of the mid-major bias is people are a little bit slower to believe it because he plays for Dayton and not Kentucky, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he's, he's incredible. He's amazing to watch. Yeah. Agreed. And, and, and he looks fully healthy. He had a couple of uh, breakaway dunks on, on that left ankle. So he wasn't, wasn't favoring it. Wasn't, you know, treating it in any way that would make you think it's going to be a problem. I appreciate your time, brother. I know you got to get going for your pod and Lenardi. So make sure you check that out. The Hey 10 podcast. Uh, and you could follow Pete at PD buckets. Uh, thanks again for your time, brother. Thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. All right. So thanks again to Pete for joining me uh, to talk some A-10 hoops, Um, you know, and pretty much it's a consensus that Dayton is head and shoulders above the rest of this conference. I mean, the the one interesting team to me has always been St. Louis and I'm higher than in the market. They play tonight at St. Louis. I think the line opened at seven and a half. I make it around six. So I kind of like St. Louis. It's just the St. Louis offense is disgusting. I mean, it's, it's so hard to watch at times, but you're, I think you're going to get your best effort against Dayton tomorrow. I think St. Louis can keep it close and the rest of the conference in the A-10, it's just a meh to me. Randall, any thoughts on the A-10 and or uh, Dayton, St. Louis tomorrow night? Uh, yeah, I like St. Louis at home. They're just going to make free throws. I mean, I say this every time they play, but they're so good. They're so talented. Travis Forrest done a nice job changing styles. He was an up-tempo guy. They play solid defense. I love Hassan French inside, but man, they can't make him. If they just give us a game against Dayton where they shoot, I don't know, 67% from the line, I think they're going to win. They looked very good when they were playing Auburn there on the road. They kept that game close and they covered. So I'm waiting for another team in the A-10. I think the A-10 is back. They've been very, very solid. Even UMass gave Virginia a run earlier in the year in Connecticut. So they have some competitive teams in there. I want to see somebody step up and, and challenge Dayton. The question is, who's it going to be? It could be St. Bonaventure. You never know. Yeah. If the, Bonnies, if the Bonnies can continue shooting 39%, they can do it, right? Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Duquesne, Randall, we've talked about this earlier, but it's not playing home games. I mean, I just don't know if they can keep up their success. Uh, and for those that don't know, they're, re, they're rebuilding their home arena, and they have like three different home arenas. They've been all over the place. So fatigue is a major question mark for me there. Uh, but I do have – so for tomorrow night, I have St. Louis circled – um, there's actually some decent Friday night games. I mean, it's a light slate as always. But you have Wisconsin catching eight at Michigan State. Wisconsin's been really good. They escaped against Maryland. You have Michigan State get embarrassed against Minnesota. Like, it embarrassed. So, you, it's, a, it's a really bad spot for Wisconsin. Michigan State should come out really focused. Um, and then you have Michigan, Iowa. Iowa's laying four. The key, to keep, the key to keep your eye on there is his Isaiah Livers play um, because, I mean, just they need his shooting. That offense just looks uh, really ugly without him out there. Uh, any thoughts on, Colin, any thoughts on the Friday night slate? Or if you just want to go right into Arkansas, Kentucky, go for it. No, nothing for me. I, I can't fade Obi Toppin, uh, uh, you know, for, for, for quite some time. But, uh, you know, for Arkansas and Kentucky, I think that this is a game where, you know, Ken Palm is calling this an Arkansas three-point victory, but it's just hard for me to picture uh, Kentucky being an underdog on the road. I don't care if it is against an Arkansas team that is supporting what looks like a very good record. You know, Kentucky's going to try to have a bounce back after this South Carolina game, a game in which they led by 14. They got into serious foul trouble, especially with some of their stars. And once that happened, they tightened up. South Carolina was able to get back in the game, uh, just shoot an unbelievable percentage in the second half, you know, and, and that just seems to happen on the road, especially when your, your best players get into foul trouble. But the problem is, is Arkansas right now is so long 
long and plays such good defense on the perimeter that it's hard to get a shot off. Uh, the only way to really beat them and handle them, which we haven't seen much of yet, is to beat them down on the blocks. There are teams that have out-rebounded Arkansas by 30 and still lost to the Hogs, and it's just been key, jack up the shots. Mason Jones, Isaiah Joe, and the reason why I like Arkansas this weekend is those two didn't even have any points at halftime against Vanderbilt. Isaiah Joe didn't even hit his first three, I think, until 10 minutes left in the game. So they kind of no-showed against Vanderbilt, and like, if they have normal games, Mason Jones will take a shot from anywhere. Uh, there's you know the old adage of the, of the hogs from the 90s shooting from the snout of the hog on the floor. That's what Mason Jones is. He doesn't care where he is. He'll do a step back. He'll pop it from anywhere. Uh, I love the team, but we have no presence inside on the block whatsoever uh and i think we're going to give kentucky a lot of problems out on the arc so i like us to win uh and cover it you know whatever if this is going to be a pick or if it's going to be a minus one i'm going to take the hogs this weekend right what do you got sir anything circled or thoughts on friday night and then what do you have circled for saturday yeah, the big thing on Friday night is two for me. Number one, Luke Gar- Luca Garza destroyed Michigan for 44 points last time they played. We have another Big Ten team going on the road, and we have, listen, Jamon Howard, whenever you're ready to start proving yourself here as a coach on the road, they are 0-4 Michigan in true road games. They haven't covered, and the spread differential has been minus 32. So I have no reason to believe, and Livers was there for two of those games, whether Michigan's going to show up or not. The other one that's jumping out is Iona, no Tim Clues. He's still out with an undisclosed health issue. Uh, they ended up winning at Ryder, threw everybody off their scent. They're still terrible against the spread. And then they came home and lost at home straight up to a nine-point Niagara team that was an underdog. So they're going to be favored there against Fairfield. Fairfield's actually decent this year, shoots well from three. So I'm all over that one as well, too, because I think Iona is still not being adjusted properly in the market. Every time I look at them, I, I'm less and less impressed. Now, they'll still find a way to win the Mac tourney and go to the – dance because that's what clues does every year but yeah they've given me no reason to want to throw my money behind them and uh, how about for saturday what do you have circled uh, listen, I am with Colin. I think Arkansas is going to give them a ton of trouble. Uh, uh, Kentucky, they're going to have backs against the wall, but that place is going to be fired up and they are defending the arc. They will get after it on the arc, which is really, really impressive. I want to see which Marquette team we're going to see against Georgetown. Wait, am I, hold on. Am I, before we get to, am I in a bizarre world here? We have, I get Colin's backing Arkansas, but what happened to all this hate for your boy at the, at the helm? Because say what you want, I do not have take lock. And listen, I don't think the guy's an X and O coach. And we were joking. Colin was joking when they hit that uh-huh. three, the bank three, they didn't score in overtime at Georgia Tech. And then they bank in a shot with 0.1 seconds left. His entire play on the board said basket with a circle yes. around it because you could see it. But you know what? It doesn't matter. They're buying in. Defense is hard. They're playing hard. Jones, Joe, somebody always steps up. Last night it was wit. So they're going to play hard. I would certainly look at the under. And listen, flip it around. The question is, like we talked about Louisville, can Kentucky take advantage of that? Are we re- really ready for Nick Richards to dominate down low. I don't know about that. So I think it's going to be a close game either way. I know, but I don't have take lock, man. Woo pig suey. Colin's talking Razorback basketball. Let me throw into to Randall's point because Muscleman, all I knew is what I saw on TV and the, the, you know, what we knew of him before he came to Arkansas was excellent recruiter, can't draw a play on the board. From what I've seen from the number of live games and the multiple live games I've been to already sitting down courtside, he is an unbelievable motivator. I've never seen so much energy in my entire life. And my sons will sit there and say, dad, look, he's chewing butt again. He's chewing out a ref. He's chewing out a player. He's chewing out a scorekeeper, timekeeper, the first row sitting behind the bench. I've never seen an Arkansas team with this much energy and just will to want to play defense. Uh, they believe that the defense is is going to cause, you know, them to have open shots. Uh, They are buying into his program. They hustle for him and and he coaches his entire heart out. Uh, And you look at Mike Anderson, there was not the same attitude. Now St. John's is going through the same thing. You know, they get into conference play and it's just kind of, there's nothing edgy about it. There's nothing that is, that that is max effort. And that's what Musselman gets out of this team. It's just been night and day about what this Razorback program has been since Musselman showed up. Randall is right. Muscleman had, I was watching one of the earliest games in the year. He wrote basket on his marker board, circled it, and then was, you know, telling everybody, we got to score, we got to score, we got to score. But his play was not X's and O's. It wasn't some sort of motion to get Isaiah Joe free for a shot. It wasn't a screen. It was just the word basket written on the marker board and circled. Yeah, that's not great. But did it work? Did they score is the question. It worked. Exactly. It worked. We scored. All right. Fair enough. All right. Then you were going to go into, I believe you're going to go into Marquette, who, I I mean, are are they just a one-man band? 
Well, that's the thing. I want to know which Marquette team is going to show up here. I mean, you know, ever since I went out to Milwaukee last year and saw them gag it when they could have won the Big East title there against Georgetown, I've sort of watched this team closely. I mean, they lose three or four. They get blown out by Creighton. Okay. Then they come home, they'll know they look great. Then they lose at home to Providence, which they never should have lost. Then they lose away to Seton Hall. Then they come home and they pound Xavier. So I don't know what team's going to show up, but I know this. It's ever a good since, spot, right? It's a good spot. Yeah. But ever since Georgetown lost those players, when Mac McClung has been on the court, they usually play well and they usually score. He went out for two games. They got blitzed by Providence. So I think that's a real interesting game because the question is, is Georgetown now going to give us some negative regression and is Marquette going to step forward or is it still going to be the Marcus Howard show? He has to score 46 so they can't win a big game. Yeah, I mean, the Georgetown perimeter day is not great, which was this, a scary thing against Marquette and Howard. No, you're right. They're not good because even Sadiq Bey, he, he shot eight for 10 and three against Georgetown. And that was going to lead me into a play that I was going to have this weekend. I was going to heavily look at UConn going up against Villanova. Now, this is a non-conference game. It's kind of a sandwich for both teams, even though UConn will be rejoining the conference next year. You have to wonder like where the mindset is of Nova. They've won nine of 10 uh, and they have this out of conference head to head with UConn, but they're about to play one of their biggest games of the season coming up against Butler. Uh, and I think the key stat in this game is UConn's rank of third in the country in blocks and Nova's 314th offensively in that category. And UConn's been off for six days. They didn't have a midweek game, so they haven't played since Sunday. They should be fresh for this. I'm looking for double digits on UConn this weekend on the road. Fair enough. Yeah, the one thing I worry about with Georgetown is, you know, because they've lost a, a number of players and, you know, they, their bench has just been dwindling as a result. Is there some fatigue that we see as the year progresses? So uh, I'm sure Marquette will be up for that game. But yeah, is, it, is someone else going to step up besides Howard is the question. Uh, two spots that I'll, I'll mention, just two, of, I think two of the best situational spots. We'll stick in the SEC. You have to look, obviously, at Texas A&M at home against South Carolina. I mean, Texas A&M stinks, but this is a team that's been playing better of late. They took LSU to overtime after two straight wins. They were shooting historically bad from three. They were at like 23%. And there's been, I think, one team in the last 20 years that has finished the season under 25% and two that are under 27 So that's how low they were. Now, they're up to like 25%, which is, I think, third worst in the country. So you're seeing those the last three games, they've been shooting a little better and the results have been a little better. You know, South Carolina off that win against Kentucky. So maybe you have a little letdown here going to Texas A&M for a one o'clock start, noon local tip. Maybe you get a, a, you know, a point or two of value because of that win. I I think Texas A&M wins that game in an ugly one. I mean, neither team can shoot. Stuck, don't forget that also Texas A&M had that game against LSU. They had the lead late and they went to overtime and lost that game. They should be very fired up against a South Carolina team that, you know, just had a last second three beat in Kentucky. Yep. Yeah, I mean, they were just running really poor. I mean, they're still not good, but they were running bad. And I think that they're, they're seeing some positive progression in that regard. The other one you have to look at, hopefully you can get like a seven or more, is Missouri who just got absolutely trounced by Mississippi State. I think they lost by 30 or something, somewhere, what was it, 72-45 or something? Yeah, 72-45, yeah. They got mauled. So you're getting them off the worst loss of the year and you're buying them low and then fading a Bama team that just was exuded so much energy in that win over Auburn, taking down undefeated Auburn and their in-state rival. You know, Missouri, they – I like their defense and they can force turnovers and they can guard the three. And those are some things that you need to do against Alabama from a situational perspective. I think the look here uh, is Missouri on the road, you know, try and get seven plus. So those are two that I'll mention. Major clash and pace there, right? I mean, like Alabama is like one of the fat Alabama covers, like they're one of the best covering teams in the nation, but I think Missouri is almost 300th in, in, in tempo and, and Alabama's I think top five. Oh yeah. And Miz- yeah. Oh, it's wants to run. Yeah, Missouri yeah. hung ninety. Hung, Missouri hung ninety-one on Florida, which is hard to do no matter what shot. Sixty-three percent from three-point range. So, just give me a little regression there. I think it's a great spot, Stucky. Good call. All right, before we go, we have one last segment. But uh, any, anyone else have anything else uh, on the Saturday card? Randall, you had one more game. Yeah, the only game, I, the team that I've been watching here, a small team I think is really impressive, is Bradley. Bradley here in the Missouri Valley has been fantastic. They're 4-1. and one, They're pounding people. They played Northern Iowa at Northern Iowa, only lost by five. Now they're coming home against Northern Iowa again. They've been playing without Elijah Childs. He's out for the year, but Bradley is really dangerous. They're going on the road and pounding people. They're trying to take hold of the horizon, so I want to see if they give a little payback to Northern Iowa on Saturday. Yeah, they've been scrappy. It pressed me uh, on the defensive end, too, and uh, I thought that they were going to fade away without Childs. 
wilds and they have not. I, I like that spot for sure. Yeah, if you can get them as a home dog, I think he, you got to look at them for sure. We'll also have a, not only we have a write up for Louisville Duke on Action Network app at actionnetwork.com, uh, we will as well for Ohio State, Penn State. Uh, so make sure you check out that game. Two teams that have been reeling a little bit that started off conference play have looked like they might be the top two teams. The Big Ten is, is why the Big Ten is a microcosm of the entire college basketball landscape this year. I mean, Ohio State was recently number eleven in the country and number thirteen in the conference. I mean, it is as wide that that conference tournament is going to be absolutely wild. We'll cover the Big Ten in one of the upcoming weeks. But before we get out of here, let's Let's just go round robin. Just name one team. Just You just say the team because this is the question everyone has. Who is legit? So I'll start and then I'll go to Colin and then Randall. So like, who do you trust at this point in the season when it's hard to trust anyone to make a deep run? Uh, we'll go around three times. So we'll do, we'll do nine teams. Um, and I'll, I'll start. I'm, I'm going to say a team I already, already mentioned and I'll make it easier on you guys because I well, won't take one of the the top teams, but I trust Seton Hall because of Miles Powell and their length. I'm going to take West Virginia. Give me that number one in the country in defensive efficiency. They make shots. That team is as dangerous as everyone. Right, number four in Ken Palm right now. They've had some impressive results That when I think they're going to be flat. And, yeah, they just make a couple shots in the tournament. That team is scary good. Uh, Randall? Baylor, 13 wins in a row, playing well in the Big 12, well-coached, length, style. I trust the Bears. I'm going to go with Michigan State. I mean, they've been disappointing me all year and getting blown out. I think they said that. I think that earlier I said they got blown out at Minnesota. If I did, I meant Purdue. But I mean, this is still a team that has Tom Izzo at the helm, has Cassius Winston, good inside out combination. They have as good of a shot as any. And by the way, the Big Ten, we say how deep it is right now. I think that the Big Ten, these Big Ten teams are going to benefit from this brutal con- – like, you know, when, when do you have a day off in the Big Ten? Maybe like a home game against Northwestern? So pretty much about it. So I think that they're going to benefit from being so battle-tested come March. And look, the Big Ten is due. I know that doesn't mean anything. But do you know that the Big Ten has not won a national championship since 2000? Team Cleves, yep. So, Colin, you're up next. Yeah, I'm going to take Texas Tech. I mean, they're 13th in defensive efficiency. I think that they can get hot. I mean, the teams that they've lost to, Baylor, West Virginia, Iowa, that's not a bad list of losses. And I think they can get hot here, play some defense, and they're one of the few teams that makes their free throws. Well, you got to – and your, your wild card there is that, you know, this team who, you know, lost a ton from last year mm-hmm. was obviously going to go through some growing pains. And two of their losses came in overtime, by the way. Um, but they still have Chris Beard. And they're playing good defense. And then, you know, you would hope that their offense comes around. The four best players are freshmen. Uh, but you still have Beard and his game planning. So, it's, it's a wild card to make the list. But I, I, I don't hate it given the coach and, and their defense. Who you got, Randall? San Diego State's legit. This is not your mom's Mountain West. Malachi Flynn, the transfer from Washington State, has been fantastic. Yanni Wetzel gives him sides inside. Matt Mitchell makes some big shots. He made big ones against Utah State. They're going to get Nathan Menza back, the 6'10 kid who has a respiratory issue. He's slowly coming back. They're legit. They get through that four-game run. They can be undefeated. They can be like a St. Joe's. Remember when St. Joe's with Jameer Nelson you know, made a run there? They can do that same sort of thing. Yeah, I don't hate it. It's all, it's all going to come down. I mean, Flynn and that offense and their shooting. Mitchell, Matt Mitchell, shout out to our award-winning podcast producer. But the other Matt Mitchell in San Diego State, it's going to come down to their offense. Their defense is going to be there. But yeah, I, I definitely think they're a legit top 20 team. And my last one, I'm not going to say, oh, and by the way, you're, I mean, I'm just going to, I'll go the easy route and I'll say Kansas. I think that this is a top 10 team on offense and defense. You know, guys like Dotson, Azubuki in the middle. This team is very well-rounded and I got to throw them in there to make it as a, as a top nine team. But going back to what you said, I don't know if anyone is going to end up going with Gonzaga, but Gonzaga and San Diego State, potential one seeds, depending on how the rest of the season plays out. And Oregon is up there as well. I don't know who you guys are going to say for your last two, but do you know a West Coast team has not won the national championship? So you said Big Ten, not 2000. A team west of the Rockies, a true West Coast, hasn't won since 1997. When Arizona upset Kentucky, which is just crazy to me. So there hasn't been a Pac-12 team or any or any West Coast team, but this is the year that it looks like might be the best shot they've had. And uh, the last nugget I'll drop before I let you guys finish your last two teams. Do you want to know how wild this year is? I forgot to say this earlier. North Carolina and Virginia might the defending champ might not make the tournament. North Carolina is probably not going to make the tournament. You know who's going to make the tournament? Rutgers. First time since 1991. I believe. <laughs> so that's how crazy the year it is. Uh, but go ahead, Colin, uh, your next team. 
This one's a long shot. I'm not even sure if they're going to make the tournament. I'm going to stick with Purdue. I mean, I, I love defensive efficiency. They rank number six, and the teams that they've lost to have all been, you know, the Butlers of the world, which I like Butler too, but there's not going to be a loss on Butler's schedule. They have one game that's going to be close from here on out, and that's going to be Seton Hall. So I'll go with a long shot here, a long shot to make the tournament. But I think Purdue, with the way that they're playing defense and their pace of play is just ugly. Their ball is just it's just an ugly brand to play. Uh, they're one of the biggest teams as far as average height. They're 16th in the country. They're going to be able to gobble up anybody that's small, uh, any kind of guard play. They're seventh uh, in defending the arc, which I think is very important. They're a team that I, I would like in the tournament just based upon their size and how much defense they play and their pace of play. Purdue and Texas Tech, oh, we were picking teams that could win the national title, not the NIT. Um, I'm kidding, though. But Beard, and, I mean, Purdue's, yeah, their defense is there. I mean, they've had some ugly results, especially off, what did they score, 37 at Illinois. They lost by 14 at Nebraska, scored 56. But they've, you know, they lost in on a neutral court to Florida State in overtime. They lost a double overtime at Michigan. So they've they just beat Michigan State by 30. I mean, Michigan yeah. State by 30. Woo! So maybe a little recency bias in your, in your, in your, <laughs> but I, I don't hate the defense and they just need someone that they need, they need, you know, Stefanovic to make shots and Eastern to find his offense and the defense will definitely be there and Eastern can shut you down and they got the size in the middle and Trevion Williams is a monster. I don't think it's good for us as a podcast in general to come out and say that we think Duke and Kansas, Duke and Kansas shows us everything that we want in a stat box, but I don't think we're helping anybody by saying, yeah, Duke and Kansas are really good and this is a future we want to buy. I think trying to find somebody before they get hotter, before they could do any damage in the tournament, you know, just stick to what we know, the stats that work. And, and even though the record is 10 and seven, I mean, when you beat Michigan State by 30 and your other losses are to quality teams besides maybe Nebraska, let's not look at that one on the schedule. Then it's definitely something to pay attention to. What do you got, Randall? Well, you guys set me up perfectly. You want a dark, dark horse here. How about a team that's been dealing with an injury that has played some really big games without their main player? How about BYU winning at Houston without Yoeli Childs? Then they pasted UCLA. They play tough against Kansas. I know it's BYU, but you know, this is a team that is top six in three-point shooting, top six in three-point shooting defense. Childs is a load down low. And listen, in a year like this, where there's no dominant team, if they get hot from three and Childs comes back, they're going to be very impressive. No one has given them a chance against Gonzaga here. They went up without Childs at St. Mary's and took that game to overtime. Hawes looks like he's 50 years old, but he's like a mini Pete Maravich here. BYU is a very deep sleeper, a team that absolutely if they end up as an 8-9 seed or something like that. Childs could, is healthy. With Childs healthy, they could make some VCU-like magic. Absolutely. BYU's road schedule is ridiculous. Like They've only had four true away games, and three of them they lost Austin overtime. I mean, that's that's an impressive schedule. Yeah, they won at Houston and without Childs, which which shows you a lot. But yeah, I can't hate on that as well. And I, I do have to throw out, I think Dayton is legit. I think they're a legit top 10 team. We talked about a four. Obi's one of the best players in the country. Because of their name and because they play in the A-10, you know, if you can find a 25 to one, a 20 to one out there, I mean, Duke is sitting at like eight to one. I mean, you don't buy an eight to one in, in a year like this. But, you know, if you can get a, a long shot on Dayton, 25 to one, I think they're real. Um, all right. Well, that'll wrap it up for us here on the uh, first episode of the College Basketball Betting Preview. We'll be back each week on Fridays. We'll record on Thursday nights. We'll follow a similar format. Be a little tweaks each week, but we appreciate you listening. Spread the word. Send in questions. And let's have a profitable rest of the January. And then run it right into February and March. So thanks again for listening. Thanks for joining me, Colin. Thanks again for joining me, Randall. Uh, we'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. We'll catch you on the rebound. Is that too corny? We're finished talking.